Hi, and welcome to my podcast, On Mike with Jordan Rich. Of late, we've been doing specials on the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact. I thought we'd take a little break from that, even though we're still housebound, and present something that I recorded a few months before this all happened. I love cinema, I love film, and I love to learn about the people who make movies. There's a new book definitely to check out called Hollywood, Her Story, An Illustrated History of Women and the Movies by Jill Tejan and Barbara Bridges. This book was an eye-opener for me, learning about so many women who have had such a big role to play in Hollywood. And you're about to learn some of that yourself. I thought this would be the perfect escape, something we need right about now. So Jill and Barbara, it's about time we invited you to go on mic. I'd love to know from you how you come to this topic so beautifully. And we'll start with Jill. Uh, Your bios, of course, are listed on the back flap of the beautiful book. But why is this a topic that interests you, number one, and why you're so excited about talking about it? Well, thank you. I've been working on telling women's stories and writing women back into history now for a long time, nominating women for awards, etc., And when Her Story, A Timeline of the Women Who Changed America, my previous book, was out, Barbara and I started getting to know each other better and talking. And I told her at one of our breakfasts that I was thinking that there needed to be a Her Story series. And I was looking at writing books about women in African countries. And Barbara said to me, you know, we really should do women in the movies. And I thought that was interesting. And I said, yes. And I had no idea that (laughs) this beautiful, important book would be the result. I had no idea uh, the scope and extent of women's participation, particularly in the early years. And we'll get to that. But Barbara, let me ask you the same basic question. What brings you to this great project? I think Jill sort of teased us with what your participation is all about. Please tell us. Right. Well, while Jill has been telling stories about women in general, I've found that I have been focused mostly on women and the movies. About 15 years ago, I joined the board of the Denver Film Society, and, and I said, you know, we really should support women filmmakers. And it just started with a panel and then a festival. And so I've just been working on supporting women behind the camera, whether it's directors or in all areas, and then also how important it is that we see the stories of women on the screen and how much people, men and women actually, um, take to those stories. Because when we don't see these stories and we don't hear the women, then we're missing out on half the population, right? Indeed. So um, when we look at the research, we find out that the top movies only have um, 30% of the dialogue comes from women. So we need to see those stories. Couldn't agree more. And Barbara, I'll start with you. Uh, Looking at the early decades, even the silence, blows me away. And I'm a movie guy. I love movies. I've read a lot of history. But I didn't realize the extent to which women were participating behind the scenes as, as well as, you know, in front of the camera, the perils of Pauline and all. But talk a little bit, Barbara, and okay. I'll start with you, about the, uh, the early days when it was really pioneer opportunities and where women fit in because they really did a lot. Oh, yeah. We find that um, in the overarching story that the women were the early filmmakers. And they own studios, and they developed many of the filmmaking techniques that 
of course, have been improved on during the years, but we love to talk about the very first female filmmaker, Alice P. Blachet. I mean, she was a French woman. She started out in France making movies, and she ended up in the United States and having a studio in um, Fort Lee, New Jersey, which was the, the center of filmmaking at the time. And she made a thousand pictures. Mm. And she experimented with all these techniques of like um, running films in reserve, reverse or double exposures, things like that. She made a thousand pictures. And her very first one was called The Cabbage Fairy. It was a minute long. And she shows us this fairy in a cabbage patch finding babies under the different cabbage leaves, I guess telling us that's where babies come from. But we love her quote to start this all off. There is nothing connected with the staging of a motion picture that a woman cannot do as easily as a man, and there's no reason why she cannot completely master every technicality of the art. Well said back then, and uh, apropos for today, and we'll get into today shortly. Jill, Barbara just illustrated something, the, the fact that it was so early when Edison was creating films that were a minute long, the sneeze and all that. Talk a little bit further about the, the early days, the 20s and the 30s, when even uh, minority groups were represented by women. I'm seeing uh, Native Americans, I'm seeing Latinas, I'm seeing Asians, blacks. Of course, they were dealing with discrimination in society. What was it like for them in Hollywood? Well, in Hollywood... What we found in the early years, and that's really the 1910s and the 1920s, that's when women really were able to do everything in the industry. They were film, they were writers, they were directors, they were producers, they were editors, they were their own stunt women because they didn't have stunt women. So the actresses got to be their own stunt women. The highest paid director at that point in time was Lois Weber. And so women actually, and this was before there were really movie stars early on. At first, women didn't even, well, none of the actors were known by their names. But they got to do everything. They basically got to help found the industry. And only later did the roles, when unions came in, and then in the late 1920s and the 1930s, when talkies came in, did roles become what would be called gendered, where women could only do certain things and men could do certain things. And so women were doing everything. They were doing lighting. They were doing filming. They were involved in every aspect of the industry. That's a very good point about the changeover that occurred in the late 20s, early 30s. First of all, you got the rise of the studio bosses and all that, but also the censor boards, the Hayes board and things like that. There are movies in the 20s that people would be shocked uh, because of the explicit nature back then. And everything changed when society sort of changed. Barbara, can you address that? As we were talking about women did everything in the early days of the film industry and then when... The talkies happened in the late 20s, and the studio system came um, into full power. Then it was just harder for women, and um, and and they didn't weren't able to thrive in many areas. So then the unions happened, and women weren't allowed to join the unions, and so it was the studios then that um, that made made the rules. You know, yeah. so. So before the rules came in, 
there was a lot that happened. And some of these women were like, the, we know we know one woman the first to be naked on the screen, things like that. But as society changed, then the rules changed. Uh, was there ever a woman studio head after 1930? Or Yes, actually uh, there were. Every now and then there were little cracks. Mm-hmm. And women got, and I don't know that they were studio heads, but they were studio vice presidents. They were studio executives is what we call them. And that will, will take me a little bit of researching through the book and digging through the book to find for you. But going back to your question about rules and censorships, one of the, we have many, many beautiful pictures in this book. As you know, there yes. are a thousand images and the one of Mae West, and who we show in 1932, I mean, she she liked to, shall we say, take advantage of some of these rules. She actually even said, I believe in censorship. I made a fortune out of it. <laughs> yes. Because she, she she was right there at the border with things that, that she said. It's better to be looked over than overlooked. And then she said, I used to be Snow White, but I drifted. <laughs> you know, and, and things that she was famous for just there right on the edge. Those are famous lines uh, from a an actress who changed uh, the way we thought about sex on the screen. There's something that comes up a lot in the early chapters, and it's an organization, and I'll use the acronym WAMPAS, W-A-M-P-A-S, and the Baby Stars. Uh, Jill, why don't you take that? What was WAMPAS? What did that stand for? And what about Baby Stars? The Rhombus Baby Stars, they were the women who were identified in the early years of their careers, not necessarily were they babies or were they even teenagers, but they were younger women, and they were the ones who were sort of, we would, we would have language today where we would call them emerging stars or rising stars. Or someone to keep in your, you know, in your lenses to see how their career developed over time, and that's what the function of the the Wampus Baby Stars were. I can answer the question because I I did have it in my notes here. The Western Association <laughs> of Motion Picture Advertisers. Uh, so it was, uh, as you, you say, go. it was a promotional <laughs> promotional well, gimmick. Well, but I thought that was interesting. And, and, of course, you talk about the sexification, I just made that word up, of females on screen. Uh, it was happening way, way back then. So we get into the talkies, and you guys have taken it from decade to decade with an amazing array of photos and text. And, Barbara, in, in that era, pre-World War II, you have a lot of Hollywood uh, bowing down to the need to keep fantasy alive during the Depression and all that. What role did women have, in your estimation, in the 30s when we didn't have the war yet, but we had the Depression? What were they doing? We have um, some examples of, of um, people that, that had this hard time in their everyday lives. They love to see the movies and have them be uplifted by the movies. And I, I, I'm sure it's not too much different than it is today when we just want to escape our lives and go into to a theater and just be entertained. So we have people like, I mean, Shirley Temple was big, like in the 30s, right? And she was just such a, um, a child star and singing and dancing for us. And so she uplifted us, Mae West, as Joe mentioned. And, but there were dramas, too, like Betty Davis's dramas oh, yeah. and things like that. But... Movies were always the way 
to escape. There are two big ones at the end of the 1930s, and, and this is when Technicolor started to be big, were The Wizard of Oz in 1939 and also Gone with the Wind. So people love going to the movies, just like now, to find their escape and Jill, the impact of an actress, one individual like a Greta Garbo, I mean, that, that was a whole shift because it was a foreign face, a foreign name, like a Marlena Dietrich, too. And these these were a whole new look for Americans and a whole new sound when Greta Garbo finally spoke. Right. And, and that's actually something that's a very interesting point, that the whole speaking role associated with the talkies, many of the actresses and actors who had been big stars during the silent film era, remember that during the silent film era, it was silent. They were not talking. And now in the talkies, they had to talk. And so there were individuals who had accents that were too thick to be translated. They had high-pitched voices. They had personas that didn't translate necessarily and from you, the silent film right. era when they had been big stars to the talkies where now their persona didn't work. And for that, you can just watch Singing in the Rain a few hundred times and get the idea, which which is that. Uh, you know, it, it's so interesting um, as a fan of movies, and I don't even watch the Oscars anymore. I'm bored with them. But I used to love when it was almost a perennial to see Edith Head come up and accept an award. She was the great costume designer. But in that era, right. it seemed as though, oh, women can do costumes, maybe makeup, but we didn't hear, at least I didn't hear about it until I read your book, women doing things, writing scripts, editing, doing things like that, because they seem to be pushed aside even even in that era. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. It, it was a sign of the times that um, whenever you had these big um, studios and, and the men making all the rules and, and just, just the culture in general, they accepted costume designers. They accepted the hair and makeup. Um, people, but then, but then there were always um, editors working with the the directors. There were always screenwriters making making the um, the stories that were on the screen. Uh, Frances Marion was a big one in the 1930s and on. Um, she was the highest paid screenwriter for two decades and made that transition from silent film to the talkies. She. Um, won her first Oscar in 1931 for The Big House, but she won the Oscar again for The Champ. And when we think mm. of The Champ, we think of Charlie Chaplin, right? But here is a screenwriter behind the scenes just making that story for him. You're talking about The Champ or The Tramp? You're talking about uh, Wallace Beery oh, and... The Champ, that's right. Jackie <laughs> Coogan. No, that's okay. No, but that, that's, that evokes, that movie evokes guys sweating and dying in the ring. <laughs> it's the last thing you think about is a, is a woman, and that's not fair to say it that way, but it's, it's the way it was presented. A name that comes out a lot, if you're a big movie buff, you know the name Ida Lupino, not just for her work on screen, but she became one of the most uh, respected women directors, I guess. But she'd also been a star. It would have been easier for her, I would imagine, than non-stars, non-actors who were known to, to get roles. Am I correct, Jill? Does that sound right? Well, she was certainly familiar with people because she had been in the industry for a while. But she, but she I mean, she said she turned to directing. She had to do something to fill up her time mm. because she was suspended from acting for objecting to decisions made by studio executives. So I don't know that she had too much of a choice. She 
she wanted to stay in the movie industry, she wasn't going to be able to do it as an actor. She decided that she was, and she was interested, and could do directing, and so she did. And in 1950, she became the Director Guild of America's second female director member. So think about that. 1950, the movie industry has been in existence for 50 years, and the Directors Guild only has its second female member. But it's interesting to say that, that she was looking to do something else. Uh, The fact that she was able to become a director and take that position is pretty impressive in in a man's world, in a boy's world. You can rattle off names of directors all day long. Uh, but females are few and far between. I remember when Catherine Bigelow won the uh, Oscar in 2010, and I know she's in the book for The Hurt Locker. That was a pretty big deal. That was a momentous occasion, and Hollywood celebrated that. Well, at least women have celebrated that. It, it was nice to see that. And and there's another example of Catherine Bigelow directing what most people would suggest is a highly testosterone-laden film. Barbara? Right. Absolutely. Um, it doesn't matter what women make movies about they they can make them about very um women things like Greta Gerwig did on Little Women or mm-hmm. make it about about the Hurt Locker and Catherine Bigelow she was only the fourth woman to be nominated for Best Director I and mean, we start in 1977 with Lena Wertmuller for The Seven Beauties and then Jane, Jane Campion, Campion in yeah. 1994 so that's a big big Right. Jump in there from 77 to 94 for the piano, then Sophia Coppola, then Catherine Bigelow, and Greta Gerwig. So only five in the whole 92 years of Oscar history have there been women nominated for Best Director Oscars. Mm. Talking here about this fabulous new book, Hollywood, Her Story, an illustrated history of the of the women in the movies. And I'll go back to Jill for a second. The big elephant in the corner of the room in terms of Hollywood news in the last five years has been the Me Too movement that started really with Hollywood. And finally, uh, the world took notice. Not a lot of the book is dedicated to that kind of thing, but if you can address what women must have gone through well before the 2000s even. I mean, uh, legendary is the activity of certain moguls in their offices with the casting couch. Your thoughts on that? One of the things that Barbara and I made a very conscious effort about in putting our book together is that we celebrate women's accomplishments and we tell their stories. And I am an electrical engineer. I've spent more than 40 years in the electric utility industry. I didn't have all of the experiences that many of the the women in the book did. But the, the important thing for us is that these women wanted to be, all of these women, wanted to be in the movie industry and what they did and how they persisted and how they overcame the barriers that were placed in their way time and time again is then what we document as their successes. And yes, there have been all kinds of things that people have had to deal with and are continuing to have to deal with. And I mean... The the quote that we have in here for Catherine Bigelow, in my mind, kind of says it all. And she says, 
if there's specific resistance to women making movies, I just choose to ignore that as an obstacle for two reasons. I can't change my gender, and I refuse to stop making movies. And so we celebrate these women who have played a role both in front of and behind the camera in every way that they can, in spite of obstacle after obstacle that has been placed in their way. Barbara, would you like to add anything to that comment, which was uh, very cogent? Yes, we, we did decide to celebrate achievements, but we did feel that in our last chapter that we did have to add one paragraph about that Me Too movement, because everywhere we go to speak, people do ask about that. So in Hollywood, they do call it the Time's Up movement, so it includes the inequality and opportunities that have existed as well as benefits and pay. And so in addition to that, in the Time's Up movement, it does address what we mostly call the Me Too movement, that systemic harassment that had previously gone unacknowledged and had been tolerated for too long. And now is in the public's attention, and so um, it's become... um, Mm address now. And so the more we talk about it, hopefully that will change and and we don't have to talk about it anymore. (laughs) That's our hope. I certainly agree and and wish for that myself. I want to address the photos for a second because some of them I've seen, many of them though, uh, certainly behind the scenes people know, it must have been an incredible mission to gather up the kinds of photo evidence that you did. Jill? We have an amazing book designer Her name is Laura Klinstra, and one of the things that she specializes in is deciding on the kind of image that she's interested in for a specific person and doing her best to find that image. She was the book designer for her story, A Timeline of the Women Who Changed America. We were very fortunate to get her as the designer for this book as well and to be able to procure the images. And then we used her design concept when we were putting our website together, which is HollywoodHerStory.com. Mm-hmm. So we, we really credit her with both the design of the book and the procurement of the images. All right. Can we have a little fun? Can I tell you, I'm going to pick out three, just three actresses, and this will tell you that I'm a real movie nut, and it'll tell you something about my tastes. There's a picture of Jean Harlow in 1930 and just smoking. I mean, unbelievable. She was, really, I mean, in a movie called Hell's Angels, uh, Howard Hughes movie, of course, but that is one. But the other two that stand out to me, one is a character actress whom I've always loved, Jane Darwell, who played the mom in Grapes of Wrath. It's the epitome of the character actor. She doesn't look like a star. She looks like an ordinary person. And, of course, my favorite actress of all time, because she's in my favorite movie of all time, Donna Reed. That picture of Donna Reed is just America's girl next door. I'm in love. <laughs> just one. So you're probably getting this from everybody, from different sources, male and but, female. See, that's, that's what's so wonderful about the book, because you can go in and anyone can go in and they can find their favorites. Those, right. those women are there. And then you can learn about all of these other women that you had no idea contributed as much as they did to the movie. 
No, you said it beautifully, and uh, I highly recommend it. And I know a lot of people who are fans of my podcast are also film fans and uh, pop culture fans, and they'll really get a kick out of it. But lots of great information. So repeat the website again one more time, Jill, if you would. It's HollywoodHerStory.com. Ladies, thank you so much, uh, Jill and Barbara, for joining me and for sharing with us this great treasure trove. Thanks so much for having us. Once again, the book is called Hollywood, Her Story, an Illustrated History of Women and the Movies Available Everywhere, would make a great gift. The authors are Jill Tejan and Barbara Bridges. I thank you for listening to On Mic with Jordan Rich and invite you to subscribe and download future episodes available on all platforms. Many thanks to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, to Ken Carberry at Chart Productions, and to you for listening. I wish you all the best, and remember, be well so you can do good. This is Jordan Rich. Take care.